Picture with me an old man um, who's coming to the end of his life and uh, he's about 90 years of age and uh, he knows uh, that it'll soon be time for him to uh, die. Like many elderly people, he's isolated, this particular man, and alone. Uh, he's cut off, unfortunately, from his friends and his family. And uh, at the time, he kind of needs people around him more than ever because he's frail and weak. This man finds himself on his own. He's one of the 12 disciples. Uh, his name's John. And uh, the Gospels refer to him as probably the closest disciple to Jesus in the little trio, Peter, James, and John. And then there was the beloved disciple, John. He was once a fisherman. Now, towards the end of this first century, he's uh, on an island, exiled, being a Christian, has got him into a lot of trouble, caused him all kinds of grief for being outspoken on behalf of Jesus, and he's paying a high price for it in his twilight years. He knows that death is crouching at the door, and Jesus comes to him. Jesus comes to him then. And he gives John a vision of all that is about to come for John. How cool is that? A vision that John would write down and share with the other disciples who would share them with those disciples, share them with those disciples so that I can share it with you today. The glorious vision in the book of Revelation, of the life that is coming. And we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21 quite a lot this morning. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. You might like to have it open, finger in the, uh, the, the page there at chapter 21. And uh, we'll keep coming back to it with the verses there from time to time. So if you this morning, whether you are older or younger... Find yourself facing the future with your eyes wide shut and your teeth somewhat clenched and your body somewhat tense because of what's ahead. Then remember that Jesus came to John and pulled back the curtains and said, John, I want you to take a look at this. It's what we should be doing anyway because we're encouraged to think of heaven. Paul, as I said when he was writing to the church in Colossae, encouraged them to be people that thought about heaven. Now, many of us, for many of us, I think heaven offers little comfort. In fact, rather than removing the anxiety, it sometimes creates more anxiety in us than it does help us with. But that's not the case uh, with the early church who wrote about heaven a lot, had pictures in the catacombs of heaven and, and so on, and perhaps we'll come to that in a moment. But what we often feel was expressed by a pastor when he put it like this, whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather cease to exist when I die. Why would any Christian feel like that? Not what you would expect. He he went on to describe what I think is common amongst many of our thoughts about heaven. I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium. To float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. It's all so terribly boring. 
Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. How different for the Apostle Paul, who said to be with Christ is what is better by far. I've just been diagnosed with an illness that will take my life shortly. I do not respond. Thank you, Jesus. That is better by far. Oh, my own. I act like my life is being taken away from me. And so there's this gulf between what Paul is talking about and what is so often our experience of holding on to this life like it is the only thing that we have. Paul was so liberated by what he knew about heaven that he became an unstoppable force. I think that's why the Bible tells us to think about heaven a lot because it makes us so useful here on earth. Paul became an unstoppable force. You can put me in prison. I don't care. I know where I'm going. You can whip me. I don't care. I know how it'll end up. You can beat me. I don't care. I know how it'll end up. I can go, I can be shipwrecked three times. I don't care. I know how it'll end up. And can you see, because he was so committed to heaven, he became so useful on earth. Thank you to Nicola, who wrote down a quote from George Verwer earlier on uh, in the service. I think it was George Verwer who said, I've met many people who are afraid to be so heavenly minded, they will be of no earthly use. However, I've I've not met many people who are afraid to be so heavenly minded. Sorry, here we go. I'm going to start again. Right, third time lucky, okay? Third time, like, this this has been rehearsed all week, this has. I think it was George Verwer who said, I've met many people who are afraid to be so heavenly minded that they will be of no earthly use. However, I've only met people who are so earthly minded they actually are of no heavenly use. So earthly minded of no heavenly use. Paul was massively useful because of what he understood about heaven. He probably didn't write these words. People argue about who wrote them. Who cares? But they are incredibly powerful. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's you and me, he, that's Jesus, shared in there, in our humanity, so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and Free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Isn't that a description of our world? All their lives are held in fear. Imagine what it is to be free. But my pastoral experience is that we're not Have we fallen? How? So far from those early disciples where pictures of heaven filled the the catacombs, the caves in which they hid and lived with beautiful landscapes and children playing and, and great feasts, banqueted feasts. Maybe we're too blessed on earth, materially, that we can't see what's really under our nose anymore. John Eldridge, I thought I ought to quote from him, seeing as everyone seems to be doing that at the moment. Uh, This is from one of his earlier books, I forget which one. Nearly every Christian I've spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. (laughs) Save us. Save us. We settled on an image of a never-ending sing-along in the sky. One great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen. And our hearts sink forever and ever. And ever, that's it, that's the good news. And then we sigh and feel guilty that we are not more spiritual. We lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find what life we can. 
The other dominant impression I think that people have of heaven is that somehow it's less real than earth. You know, earth is real, it's kind of solid and it's kind of here, but, but heaven is kind of, kind of wifty-wafty and stuff. You know, it's a bit like Wi-Fi, you can't quite put your finger on it and it never quite works right. Earth is solid and firm and bright and colourful, but heaven is sort of opaque and weak and fluffy and stuff. And we, we act like that in our language, don't we? When I die, people will say, well, I hope you won't, he's fallen asleep. Now, that might be true from a human perspective, but that's not God's perspective, and neither will it be my perspective. Whatever else I will be doing, I will not be sleeping, I promise you that. There's loads that I want to do when I get to heaven. So many things I've wanted to do on earth that I'll never get around to doing it. For a start, with my ability to love, to relate, to laugh, to know, to create, to explore, to design, to feel, to sense, to give, to receive. Will all that be gone? No, it will be more gloriously alive than it's ever been while I'm here on earth. So much to do, free from sin, ready to go. My heaven, youngest son, six years old, it's bedtime. Oh, bedtime. He's lived at 120 miles an hour since the moment he opened his eyes and the thought of bedtime bringing it all to an end is in his little world catastrophic and we think death is like that. But this is the real deal. I'm living it as best I can, full of life and then somehow I'll fall asleep. I'm not going to fall asleep anywhere. Please don't say I've entered into my eternal rest. I don't mind the peace bit and I'll have a little snooze maybe. But then there's much to do. Much to do. Imagine the place you've always dreamed of going. And eventually you win it on the lottery. No, you can't do that. You win it somehow on something or other. Just God blesses you and you end up in the place that all your life you've longed to go to. And when you get there, you think, a bit tired. I think I'll just stay in the hotel. And one hotel room is the same as another, wherever you are in the world, more or less. And you stay there. You can't be bothered to get out. Is that the kind of heaven that we imagine? I hope not. When you get to heaven, this most fantastic place that we've ever could have imagined, there'll be much, much to do. When you get to heaven, where at every turn your heart is thrilled, where every sight takes the breath, away from your being. Who's going to say, think I'll stick with the omnibus of EastEnders? (laughs) And finally, please don't say Simon has passed away. As if how somehow I'm less than what I once was. Because I will be a whole lot more. And so will you. Passed away, you've got to be kidding absolutely kidding. When I'm out of here, I want you to know that I'll be more alive, more wide awake, more alert, my senses more engaged, my passion more stood, my heart more pounding than I've ever been in this sinful, fallen, crippled world. We're like you, I'm robbed every day. We're like you, I limp along and long with just glimpses of freedom. There'll be a day when I'll be free and there'll be a day when I can dance. And clearly I can't, this side of it. But there will be a day when not only I'll want to dance, but I will be able to dance. And that'll be good for all of us, and Kerry in particular. 
Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Whatever else will have happened, I won't have passed away. Heaven, the Bible says, is beyond our imagining. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But look at the next verse, verse 10. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. There are, by His Spirit, enough connections to help us begin to glimpse what this heaven will be like. The Bible tells us that at the end of time, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw it, a heaven and an earth. There will be continuity. Why? Because we know earth. This is earth. Yeah? You know earth. Yep, you're familiar with earth. And you know God. True? So you know earth and you know God. So if God was to make a new earth, we have enough knowledge to begin to glimpse all that it will be, even just to get a peek at heaven. You see, most people look up to the clouds in an attempt to understand heaven. I want to suggest you need to look around to understand heaven. Look around and imagine this world without everything that cripples it. Without everything that ruins it and destroys it. Then you begin to get a glimpse of what's coming. Imagine all this as it was made to be. Not simply renewed, but recreated. Resurrection. He will make all things new. Hallelujah. Imagine the flowers unwilted, the grass undying, the blue sky unpolluted, people smiling, joyful, no anger or depression or emptiness. Close your eyes and envision the most beautiful place you can imagine, what it might be for you. Is it a palm tree kind of place by the sea? Is it a raging river kind of place? A jagged mountain kind of place? A big uh, kind of view kind of place? Waterfalls, snowdrifts, what is it that you imagine? And remember, Jesus who created everything said to the thief on the cross today you will be with me in when the guy that created all this talks about paradise that's a pretty cool place don't you think that's paradise on God from God's perspective that's paradise that God has thought up not from our own human perspective picture family and friends together walking laughing loving caring reminiscing joy abounding imagine your body that's half knackered and doesn't work properly, and I'm only halfway through my life, I hope, and it feels like that. But imagine it totally restored. Imagine it all being able to work like it's supposed to work. Imagine your body powerful and beautiful. Can you imagine that? Imagine all the bits doing what they were there to do. Imagine no embarrassment. Imagine no shame. Imagine no self-consciousness, no crippled self-esteem. And imagine in this amazing place, you don't know where to look. Every moment takes your breath away. You sense in this place that someone is approaching. You can feel his warmth and his radiance. It's pouring over you even before he is near. And his arms are open wide and his face is beaming bright. And you fall to worship Jesus. And he gathers you in his embrace For the first time, you're physically in his presence. You've never, ever felt so fully yourself as you do right now. 
You're with the one you were made for. You're in the place you were made for. And then you smell some cooking. It's what you love to eat. There's a banquet further ahead. He takes you to this banquet. There are others there. They welcome you. You feast like you've never feasted before. You see, in a world where people say you can't imagine heaven, we as God's people need to say, actually, you can begin to. And it's time we got a vision for where God's taking us. Because I'm not doing all this for a big sing-song in the sky. How about you? (laughs) Honest. Do you know what I mean? We can sing Kendrick songs here. Maybe it's time to change our language. I don't want to fall asleep. I don't want to pass away. I don't want to enter into eternal rest. I want to be fully alive. That's what Jesus died for. Jesus died to give us life in all its fullness. To be in the place I was meant to be. To be the person I was created to be. No wonder the Bible says it will be like going home. The dominant image of heaven is home. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Can you imagine that for a moment? To be with Jesus or to be with the Father, the one you have loved all your life, the one you've tried to live for each day, for the one you've cried out to in the darkness of your, of your despair through the night, the one you've rejoiced in the presence of, the one you've sung to, the one you've studied about, the one you've taken risk for, the one you've served. Imagine being in his presence. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In my Father's house are many rooms. Homes where I'm loved and accepted. Homes where my needs get met. Homes where I can lay my uh, burdens down. Homes a place where I can run to when I'm discouraged or under pressure or disappointed or hurt or worn out. Homes where I can be refreshed in body and spirit. Homes where I can wear the, the tracksuit that I'm not allowed to go out in. Where I can slouch in the chair, not worry about how I look or in the same way what I say. Home is where the food is what I like. Home is the reference point from which everything else in life is measured. If you've been away from home the first night back in your own bed, we knew we needed a new bed when the first night back in our home bed was worse than the bed we'd been in on holiday. (laughs) Then it's time to change your bed. Now that's not the case, praise God. You've been abroad and the first time you get a dish that's been made with the ingredients that you know where they come from. And you've been up the A12 and it's taken you three hours to get home in that long bath. Now I'm aware that home's not like that for everyone. I'm fully aware that home can be a very difficult and stressful place for people. I'm fully aware that many people are at home, but they're really not at home. And you know what I mean. But our true home will be everything that all of us long for plus a thousand, thousand more. Samuel Morrison, you're not home yet. So heaven then is a home prepared for you. And I've only got about, I don't know, 15 of these. So, uh, home is, uh, is a place prepared for you. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That Jesus, who created the world in how many days? Six days. Is spent how long working on heaven? 
or at least 2,000 years. You expect some pretty decent return on your money. One of, uh, one of the things I was bought, Kerry bought me for my birthday was uh, a special edition CD of Keith Green. Now, Keith Green was to me as I was growing up a distant mentor. He spoke into my life even though I never knew him uh, and never, never met him. He was a singer, a prophetic singer. And if you listen to his music now, it sounds really sad and sort of late 70s, early 80s because that's what it was. But the passion of that man when he sang about God creating the world in six days and how God's been working on heaven for 2,000 years has never left me. In Revelation chapter 21, which you turned to earlier on, maybe you'd look at verse 1 and verse 2. Different imagery, but the same point. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First heaven and first earth had passed away. No longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Prepared as a bride. How long does it take a bride to get ready? 20 minutes? minutes? (laughs) Says Simon. You wish, brother. You wish. Ask Simon and Debbie getting married in about four weeks' time. Might even be sooner than that. Three weeks' time. Weather. Weather. The bride gets ready in 20 minutes. All that effort for months so that when she walks through those doors, everyone goes... Wow, wow. All that effort. So when we step into that place, we cannot but say anything but, wow. All I've ever dreamed of and so much more. And it's a place, you know, that welcomes you. Father Jesus said in his prayer, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see it, to see my glory. Jesus is longing to welcome you. Your nameplate is on the door. Your pass is at the gate. There's a place at the table already laid. Home is a place that's made perfect for you. Perfect for you. Can you imagine for a moment? What does he say in verse 1 that there'll be no longer any sea? I quite like the sea. I'm not sure why there'll be no longer any sea. I don't know whether it's metaphoric. But the sea in their culture, in ancient times, and this is why I think it's metaphoric, the sea in ancient times stood for something that divided you, divided countries, and the sea in ancient times, much more so today, stood for something that was dangerous and uncontrollable. Something that would happen in your world that you couldn't control. There'll be none of that. None of that that's dangerous and wild and uncontrolled. All that separates and divides will be over. Jesus is saying in this vision, all those things that separate and divide, no hard feelings, no hurt feelings, no misunderstandings, no critical spirits, no divorce, no death, no piles of rubbish or prisons or debris, no business trips or military call-ups, no sickness or weakness, no dangers or hardship, no fires or famines or floods, no wars, no refugee camps, no ethnic cleansing, no racial or political or religious prejudice, no religions nor poles or domination, no classism or economic situation or human slavery, nothing that divides will be there. Nothing that divides. Because everything will be made new, it says in verse 5, which means there'll be no scars, no scars of sin except those on the feet and hands of Jesus, no guilt, no abuse, no shame, no disappointment, no regrets. Everything, our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our psyches, our memories that have been crushed and battered and beaten in this life, all will be made new. And he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. 
The God who flings stars into space. The God who with one word can swipe out this whole universe of ours that we cannot even measure will stoop down and he'll wipe the tears from your eyes. I don't know about you, but I anticipate that when I see him, I will cry. Awkward, for sure. You know, first meeting, you don't want to cry, do you? Like an interview, you know, I don't want to cry. Don't cry. I imagine a white tears from your eyes. No more suffering. Physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, socially, spiritually. No more pain, no more hospitals or death or funerals or grief. No more Zimmer frames, no more commodes, wheelchairs, bed hoists. No more suicide bombers, fiery infernos, broken homes, no broken hearts. No more broken hearts, no more broken lives, no more broken dreams. There'll be no more mental illness, no more physical handicaps, no more muscular dystrophy, multiple sclerosis, no more blindness, deafness, disease or sickness, no more heart disease, no more Parkinson's, diabetes, arthritis, cataracts, no more sinful habits, no more sinful words and I've missed a page, no more paralysis, no more cancer, no more strokes, no more AIDS, no more guns in schools, bombs in cars, terrorists, missiles or airstrikes, no more. Hallelujah, no more. Absolutely, no more. And we reckon that heaven's this woolly fluffy place. No, it's this, but no more. If you want to go to heaven, you have to get used to living without all of that stuff. If God lets you in, though, you'll spoil it. If God lets you in, you'll spoil it. Which is why heaven is a home. He cleanses you for. Hallelujah. Cleanses you for. Sin is such a tiresome disease, is it not? Sin is so destructive. Some of us are here this morning and we're just worn out, weary of battling with sin in our lives. The day we see him, we'll be like him. The day, in, in that moment, the Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed and we'll be like him. I'll be free from my sinful tendencies. I'll be free from my sinful actions, from my sinful attitudes. I'll be free be free from my sinful habits, from my sinful words, from my sinful feelings. All those things that tie me up, all those things that stupidly I still let rob me of the life I was meant to live. He'll cleanse me from all of that. And you too. A home where God lives. Can you imagine The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine, for the glory of God gives it light. Wow. Isaiah spoke years ago, the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. And he carried me, this is back in Revelation 21, he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Can you imagine it? No, actually you can't. But get a glimpse. Get a glimpse. 
of this place where God lives. Not surprisingly, it's a home full of praise. John makes a comment. I did not see a temple in the city. It makes me laugh because it's like us going, can't see a church here, Jesus. Where's the church? What am I going to do on Sunday? Can't find it. Why? Because everything is full of praise. How cool is that? Everything is full of praise. 24-7 that won't exist in heaven is full of praise. Where's the church? And we think it's one long church service and they haven't even got a church. It's funny, isn't it? God's funny. Come on, God's funny. You gotta, we spend all our time in church and God goes, you can't even find it in heaven. That's funny. No. Okay, it's time to go home. That's funny. That's really funny. If you don't think that's funny, then think a bit harder and one day you'll find it funny. In fact, in fact tomorrow morning, driving to work, suddenly you'll get it and you'll go, that's really funny. Send me a text uh, or, or tweet or something when you, when you find that funny because that's really funny. It's not always like that on earth, is it? Full of praise. This is the slide, full of praise. I remember coming home from Romania one time when I was full of praise. I think it was the time that uh, I was there and 17 people got baptised and it was just a, a really long church service. You know, we think ours are long. It was a mega church service. It was full of praise and everything. Uh, and uh, and I, I travelled all day, but I was still jubilant and it's sort of fairly late in the evening and I pulled into the driveway. Uh, really glad to be home. The worst thing for me, but I'm miles about being away. I hate being away from home. Uh, I love my family. I hate being away. And I get in through the door, full of praise. Picture the scene. Glad to be alive. Open the front door. And Kerry says, ah, just in time. And does what only she could do, which was to hand me a child with fresh vomit dripping down the front of his clothes. So that she could go to the second child whose head was down the toilet. Just in time. Lost in wonder, love and praise. There will be a day. There will be a day when you're home. And you can stay lost in wonder, love and praise. Full of joy, full of joy. The Bible says that you've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. We've got to knock this thing on our head about it being boring. Yeah? It won't be boring. It won't be boring. The psalmist said, David says, you've got to remember that it's Jesus that gives life. It's God that gives life. And you will fill me with that life, with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The God of the infinite universe is the God who will keep creating and recreating and recreating and recreating. And the Bible says that we will rule and reign with him. Now, I don't pretend to understand that, but it sounds pretty cool. I'm going to rule and reign with Jesus. Anyone else up for that? You will have to do a bit of work. It's not all lying on the beach. But the work is satisfying and full and purposeful and the work brings life rather than the death that so often is our experience and heaven is a home to bring us together I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count every nation tribe people and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb that's Jesus heaven's not a solo place I'm not going to have my own cloud and my own harp and not see anybody people from every age and every nation The greatest reunion that friends reunited can only dream about. You see, we're relational beings, isn't it? Weren't we made in God's image as relational beings? And yet the very core of who we are, we sometimes think about heaven as if that won't exist. 
We will not simply be absorbed into a vast, amorphous whole, floating around like some disembodied spirit. We'll retain our individuality. I will be me, and you will be you. Well, the best bits of you and the best bits of me will recognize each other. When they saw Jesus, they recognized him. He was the same but different. He was changed. I'll be the same but different. All the junk in my life will be gone. But it'll still be me. Who are the people you're looking to meet? We'll be together. We'll be together. Bill Clinton in his um, autobiography, I think it's autobiography, it might be in, in another biography, but no, I think it's his autobiography, tells of, a, tells of the, the day that Billy Graham rang him up and said, to, uh, I want you to come with me, Bill, to, to visit a friend of mine who's dying. So Bill Clinton went to Billy Graham. That's an incredible influence Billy Graham's had, isn't he? Fourth generation leader, remarkable influence. Uh, and he, he, um, it, it, they go to the hospital where Billy Graham's friend is dying and it's clear that this is the last time that Billy will, will see his friend and so on. And they chat away for a little while and the friend in the bed's weak and so on and Bill Clinton's just watching all this going on. And then Bill Clinton says that Billy Graham leant into the ear of his friend. And he says, when it's all said and done, I'll meet you at the East Gate. How cool is that? And Bill Clinton says he just got up, turned around, no goodbyes, just walked out. No goodbyes. I'll meet you at the East Gate. Come straight from Revelation, the holy city, with its gates. We're nervous about anything that's good, aren't we? Because we know that good things don't last. Is that your experience? Do you worry when things are going well that it won't last? It's a lie of the devil, you know. Things won't last. Stand against it in this world. And every time we, we see the catastrophes, the twin towers and the tsunamis and the sudden death of a friend and the sudden diagnosis and the car crash and the burglary and all of that stuff, we, we, we worry that good things don't last. Heaven is a home, safe and protected and we're nearly finished a great high wall with 12 gates Revelation 21 sorry I got the wrong verse there Revelation uh, 21 verse 12 12 uh, great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates a protected place this is the world of childproof caps on medicines isn't it of chemicals out of reach of seatbelts that are on and Hands held tightly as you walk your children along the pavement. But imagine the place that's safe from incurable disease and untimely death. It's safe from financial failure and social injustice, from political oppression. Safe from germ warfare or mysterious disappearances or drug addictions or stock market fluctuations or violent robberies or business bankruptcy or military invasion or natural disaster. A safe place. Would you like to go there? I don't mean right now, although that can be arranged. Please make an orderly cue. While Sally sings the song, we will catapult some of you into glory, those who are ready to go. It's my pastoral heart coming to the fore. Would you like to go? Do you know what? You can't afford it. You can't afford it. You know those property programs that are really annoying, show you these lovely houses that you can't afford, just wind you up? Make you go to bed dissatisfied. Who watches those? Can't really admit to that now, can you? Um, do, do you know all those, you know, you drive past, oh, well, that's a house of my dreams. Can't afford it, can't afford it, can't afford it. Do, do you know this house that we've been talking about? You can't afford that. 
You can't afford it, which is why it's a home bought with a price. Yeah? Bought with a massive, massive price. A massive, massive price. That's what it cost to deal with the junk in your life. That's what it cost to bring you back to God. And when Jesus cried out on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, Lamech, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It's because he was abandoned. That you and I might never, ever be. Let's pray. Perhaps as we come to prayer, this, this verse again, you know this, this verse that those who, who all their lives are held in slavery by their fear of death. Listen, Jesus died that we might live unafraid of our tomorrows. Jesus died that we might know the end from the beginning. The Bible says there'll be a judgment and the judgment will be this. Do I know Jesus Christ? Is my life in him? The Bible says Jesus will say to far too many than we dare imagine, oh, I never knew you. I'm asking, do you know Jesus today? Do you know Jesus today? So as you close your eyes in death, you will be home with the Lord. That's what's on offer. And if you don't know Jesus today like that, but you want to know him, the Bible says it's very simple yet profound. It's to recognize that you haven't been good enough. You can't afford that home. But Jesus paid the price for you on the cross. And as you surrender, you give your life to him. He gives everything back to you. We give an opportunity just in the quiet. Maybe Sally will start playing for us. But a, an opportunity, if, if you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, now is the time to do it. Just stand where you are so that I can see and then we'll pray together. Never given your life to Jesus. Never got it sure. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And maybe some of us have lived with a, a kind of fear. We've kind of stopped thinking about heaven because it bothers us and it worries us. And suddenly as we've unpacked God's word this morning, it's like heaven's everywhere and God wants us to see it, to know it, to live in the light of it. And if maybe this morning you want to change in your heart, in your attitude, to start thinking positively about heaven, I just invite you to stand now. So sign and say, I want to live a bit differently. I don't want to shut that off. I don't want to live, walk into the future with my eyes wide shut, but I want to open them this morning. And to see what God has prepared for me. Just stand where you are. Jesus, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
as people around the room begin to stand, we just pray, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit to help us, that we might fix our eyes, not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. That we might be so certain of all that is, we can live more freely, more fully in the here and now. And so I ask, Lord, for those that are standing and sitting, that you'd open the eyes of our hearts and our minds, that we might begin to imagine, that we might begin to conceive what it will be like when we get there, when we see you. Let's all stand together, I can only imagine.